Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Registration is now open for our next event, the Planet Microcap Showcase, taking place in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe Hotel and Casino, formerly Bally's, on April 25 through 27, 2023. Expect three days of networking, company presentations, one-on-one meetings, in short, a lot of fun. If you follow our community and especially invest in microcap stocks, you're not going to want to miss this. We have many more announcements. I know I've been promising them, but Uh, Very, very shortly, we'll be announcing our initial speakers and sponsors for the event, as well as a preliminary list of companies that will be presenting as well. So be sure to register to get all those updates and also to attend. So the website to do that is www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now for today's show, I invited back on Yaron Neymark, founder and portfolio manager at One Main Capital. Last time I had Yaron on the show, it was in July 2022, chatting about the first half 2022 microcap bloodbath, which of course uh, we all know got worse. Uh, The Planet Microcap Index was down approximately 40% for the year. Awesome. I've had a few investors on here to start 2023, where we dissected 2022, what worked, what didn't. And while Yaron and I start off the conversation that way, the reason I always enjoy having him on the show is that he has a unique ability to simplify. I just have to ask one question on what happened in 2022. And I think your own covers that question as succinctly and clearly as anyone. And in 15 minutes or less. So we chat about 2022, recognizing mistakes, improving his process, his 2023 outlook, and a short back and forth about morality with investing. Thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with your own Neymark. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. 
Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Ron, thank you for for joining me. Thanks for having me on again. It's great to have you back. So the main reason I wanted to invite you on uh, here today, you know, we were going back and forth on scheduling and stuff, you know, so it's been a few weeks since you put this out, but uh, put out your Q4 2022 letter, kind of reflecting a little bit on 2022, now going into 2023. You know, I've done a couple pods, a little bit talking about this, but wanted to get your unique perspective on thinking back, looking ahead, even where we're at right now, a couple months into 2023. It feels like it's gone by like this. But, um, you know, so let's start there, you know, reflecting on 2022 and uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, 2022 was a crazy period in markets where, um, you know, we started the year and everyone thought inflation was transitory. And then at some point throughout the year, everyone freaked out and decided it was not transitory, uh, including the Fed. Um, the Fed decided that they needed to hike interest rates, short-term interest rates, which is what they really control. If that funds rate a ton, it was almost 0% coming out of the pandemic. And, you know, it's now in the fours, approaching the fives. Um, and it, it was a really rapid period that they took rates up from, you know, basically zero to 5%. And this, the steepness of that increase, and by the way, the, the long end also increased, the long end of the curve, not just the short end of the curve, uh, as inflation expectations, um, you know, increased kind of longer term inflation expectations. Um, still pretty tame uh, in the context of, of historical levels, but definitely, you know, increased a lot throughout the year, early on in the year. Um, and that freaked out owners of all risk assets, obviously bondholders, um, you know, when they own uh, bonds that are yielding very low levels and, and yields have to go up uh, through a combination of higher rates and high, and wider credit spreads, that's really bad for bonds. So bonds were down a lot last year. Um, equities also uh, were down a lot last year, partially because the risk-free rate went up. So the cost of capital for both debt and equities went up, uh, partially because people were convinced that the Fed was raising rates so fast that they were going to crash the economy. And that's obviously bad for earnings. So you had a combination of rates going up, discount rates going up, bad for risk assets, expectations of a recession and economic slowdown, which is bad for equities. And and so equities obviously perform very poorly as well. Um, the interesting thing is so far this year, CPI has started to roll. The Fed has started talking about slowing down the rate of their interest rate hikes. Um, and uh, it seems like risk assets, in particular equities more so than bonds, um, have celebrated that slowing of uh, inflation and you know increasing rates. And the fact that the economy seems to have held in much better than anyone would have expected if you would have told them we were taking rates from zero to 5% over like seven months. Um, you know, everyone... At the end of last year, mid last year, was talking about an early 2023 recession. 
now it seems like people think we're not going to get a recession until at least 2024. If we get one, the consumers uh, continue to spend or they, they, they continue to have jobs. Um, there's not a lot of unemployed people. The unemployment rate's not spiking. The economy seems to be really, really, really healthy given the magnitude of the increases. And so now if you want to be bearish, you have to paint the case that inflation is going to reaccelerate and it has not been solved. And uh, if inflation reaccelerates, they're going to have to hike rates even further, which is inevitably going to slow the crash, the economy and risk assets down the line. And so the bearish narrative is, is kind of morphed from, you know, 5% is going to crash the economy to 5% is not enough uh, to even slow the economy a tiny bit. And so we're going to have to take the Fed funds rate even higher, and that's going to eventually crash the economy. Um, I don't have a particularly strong view one way or the other. I, I do still believe we're working through the kinks of inflation. Um, you know, COVID threw a lot of wrenches and everything, and I just think it takes a long time to work it all out. Um, the, the, one, of the, one of the things that I am optimistic about is that even though there's a lot of job openings, the number of employed people continues to increase at a nice clip in the U.S. Um, specifically. And at least we're seeing a demand response, I mean, a supply response to higher wages, right? There's, there's, there's demand for more employees. Wages are going up. And it's not like wages are going up, but we're not finding more employees. Wages are going up, and that's encouraging more people to come back into the labor force. And so that's, it's going to take some time to work its way through the, you know, and, and for us to see what the eventual result is of all this stuff. But, um, I still think I'm optimistic, uh, that inflation will eventually be transitory, that the economy will be strong. Um, and even if we go into a recession, you know, my view is that this is not 2008. Um, there's not a ton of, you know, it might be in sovereign sector, right? Public sector. Um, I don't think private sector is as leveraged, not consumers, not businesses. They have clean balance sheets. They're in really good shape. And so if we go into a recession, I don't think there's going to be these forced liquidations of people's houses and, and businesses, um, which is obviously really bad for the economy and employment and valuation multiples. You know, it's bad for everything. I just don't see that being, you know, the base case recession. A base case recession is we have some negative GDP quarters. Uh, unemployment, you know, kind of increases a little bit, but doesn't spike the way it did in 2008. And, um, and I think, you know, companies will survive. Consumers will not have to give their houses back to the banks. Um, and the reality is, if you want to own risk assets, you have to believe that the Fed will do whatever it takes to crush inflation, even if it means putting us into a recession. Um, so recession is not that scary. What's scary is them not doing what it takes to crush inflation, because if inflation becomes really, really sticky and we get 8%, you know, inflation forever, then, you know, the bar for owning equities in that environment is extremely high because risk-free rates will be eight or nine or 10 or 11 or 12%. And earnings have a very hard time growing and free cash flow has a hard time growing in that type of inflationary environment. So equities are long duration assets. The short-term interest rates don't really shouldn't really have that much of an impact on them, other than near-term earnings, but definitely not long-term multiples. What should have an impact on long-term multiples is long-term inflation expectations, and us absorbing a near-term recession to keep long-term inflation in check is exactly what you would want to happen if you're an owner of long-duration assets. So, 
I'm optimistic. There's a lot of really cheap names out there. A lot of babies were thrown out of the bathwater last year. I've been able to reposition the portfolio into names that I think will navigate this coming particular recession, you know, better than an average company in the economy. But valuations are really attractive. I'm optimistic. And uh, I'll leave it there and see if, you know, there's anything else you want me to touch on. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, you know, but let's let's touch on how, you know, we're recording this on Friday, Feb uh, 17. So uh, we're most of earnings are pretty much over. There's still some some hanging out there, um, some calls coming up in the next couple of weeks. So, I mean, from some of the calls that you've heard, you know, what have been management teams signaling on an individual company basis when you consider all of these macroeconomic um, pressures, yeah. I guess? I mean, the economy is, is, stay, is staying really strong, it sounds like. Um, you know, inflation... I think has become less of a topic, but it's definitely still, you know, it might not be front and center, but it's still, it's still a front, just not in the center. Um, and, uh, you know, capital markets were effectively shut down for the, the back half or the fourth quarter of last year. They're starting to reopen a little bit. Companies are refinancing their debt. They're pushing out maturities, um, which is, is positive on the margin. Uh, consumers, you know, re- remain confident um, and their spending is resilient. And yeah, I think the narrative for a recession has definitely been pushed out, which is why you've seen equities rally here at the start of the year. Now, there's there's always going to be a bear case, right? Like until we make it through some kind of recession, there will be a bear case. But I think, you know, there's lots of equities that are priced to deliver really good results, even if that bear case plays out, as long as it's not way, way, way worse than, you know, a normal recession. Yeah. Uh, and if it, and if it doesn't, if we don't get a recession, some of them will do even better, obviously. Um, and so uh, I think it's our job to find those securities. I think I've assembled a portfolio that I'm really pumped about for the next few years. For sure. So, you know, going back to your, to the, your Q4 letter that you put out, you know, in one section, you talk about recognizing mistakes and then improving the process. On on the point on recognizing mistakes, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes people might or some investors are hard on themselves where it's like, okay, I made I, I the timing might have just been bad. You know, this company, I think, is higher quality. It might be high quality or at a minimum, it's quality. Maybe there's some hair, but it's at least quality. It's worth taking a shot right now. All these different macroeconomic pressures happen. And then of course, you know, there's just a massive sell-off probably in the stock. Yeah. How do you balance this idea of recognizing the mistake in proper company valuation or, or just looking at the fundamentals and understanding the business versus like, you know what? It was just bad timing. Yeah. I mean, bad timing uh, Do you say bad timing is a mistake? I don't know. I, I that, That's one of those things that I go back and forth in my mind when I think about. Yeah, our job is to get everything right, including timing, um, right? If, if you want to produce Hall of Fame res- results for 20 or 30 or 40 years, which is what I want to do, you have to be a Hall of Famer. And that means having a, well, a well-rounded game, right? You can't you can't just be good at, at three-pointers and not at assists and rebounds and, and steals and blocks and and you gotta you, you gotta improve everywhere um, at all times, and uh, timing timing is a part of that. <clears throat> I don't know. You should look at Duncan Robinson's career, man. Like he, that guy still made <laughs> fifty five million over five. I, I, you know, but anyway, sorry, bad joke. Fair. No, but 
I mean, look, generating good IRRs isn't just generating, you know, turning a dollar into five dollars. It's turning a dollar into five dollars over a reasonable period of time. If you give me a dollar and give me an infinite amount of time to turn it into five dollars, I could do that with treasuries. Is that me being a good investor? No. So I think timing matters um, because IRRs matter investors. Um, it's not just the multiple of capital you're able to return to them, but how quickly you're able to return to them. And then you could reinvest that into other stuff that's going to compound. So timing, timing definitely matters. Every idea in the portfolio and on my watch list competes for a spot on the, on the, on the court every single day. And, um, you know, if, if someone, if, if a position gets benched, it was usually because it was a mistake to have been put on in, you know, in hindsight. Now that mistake could be not a process mistake. That could just be, um, you know, it, like our job is to pick good risk adjusted, to, to pick good bets at the moment that we make pick them with all available, all available information we have available to us. And sometimes, um, you know, that information changes and it makes positions less attractive. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think you can't just look at the outcome of every investment and say, this one I made money on, it was not a mistake. And this one I lost money on, it was a mistake. But there are, you know, situations where you could look back and objectively say, I might have been overly optimistic, even based on all available information I had at the time. Um and our job is to, you know, avoid those again, making those same mistakes again in the future. I think there are tons of managers who got caught up in, you know, higher valuation, higher growth names and had their whole portfolios in them. Um, and, it, you know, it was very easy to extrapolate COVID winners. You know, I had one COVID winner that I thought could buck the trend. And uh, it turns out I was overly optimistic on them bucking the trend. In hindsight, maybe the bar should have been higher from putting it into the portfolio. You know, I thought, you know, if they buck the trend, which adds an, an extra level of complexity to an investment, right? If you know, and there's something called a COVID headwind, right? The COVID beneficiaries, there's an added headwind. Maybe your cost of capital for that position should be higher. And thankfully, it was one position in my portfolio. It wasn't that big. But it cost us a few hundred basis points last year. That sucks. And it's something I, would, I don't want to repeat. But um, no, I think if you keep your mistakes small and you recognize them and you avoid repeating them, I think that's all part of the process of getting better. And um, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, I, I've known this for a long time, but when you have a wider range of outcomes, a potential range of outcomes for an investment, you should have a higher hurdle rate. And a three-year double is exciting for me for most of my investments. But if I think the range of outcomes is extra wide, I should be demanding more than a three-year double. I should be looking for a three-year triple or a four X. And so that's kind of how I, you know, I, I kind of formalized it into the process. I knew it, but I, I didn't have a formal kind of rule for it. And now, now, now I do. And, um, and yeah, it's all part of making the process better every day, every year. You know, I think, uh, the first podcast I did with you, I think I read you a Kobe Bryant quote where he's just, you know, he gets into the gym a few hours earlier every day than someone. And by year 10, it really doesn't matter how much work someone's doing. They can't catch up because it compounds, you know, that, that type of improvement compounds on itself. And that's my goal is to keep compounding my small improvements. And, you know, I've been running my fund for five years now. 
I was an analyst at other funds before that, and I worked in private equity, but really being a portfolio manager is, is, I think, where you are able to improve at a pace that is much harder to do when you're an analyst. And um, so I'm five years into being a portfolio manager. I think my, my game has improved a ton since day one. I think it will continue to improve for the next five, 10 years. And I'm hopeful I can, you know, I, I'm proud of the performance I've had, you know, five years, 20-ish percent net of fees um, in an environment where the Russell has basically been flat over that five-year period. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of it, but I think I could do better and, and for longer. And that's, that's the goal. So what would you say has been your biggest improvement? Let's just say year over year from 2022, beginning of 2022 to now. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm making step change improvements anymore. I think I'm making marginal improvements. So there's not like one thing where I'm like, at the start of 2022, I lacked this skill and now I have this skill. I think, um, you know, the, the, the new rule that I've implemented for myself for a wider range of outcome investments, just kind of formalizing the higher hurdle rate that I'll be looking for, I think is, is definitely a process improvement. From 2018 to today, I've definitely... You know, in the later years, have paid much more attention to management alignment with me, um, even if it means you know sacrificing a little bit on valuation. And when I mean sacrificing on value, when I say sacrificing on valuation, I don't mean buying things at forty times earnings or thirty times earnings. I mean instead of buying something at eight times cash flow, if I could buy something at twelve times cash flow, but with more alignment and a better management team, you know, I'll, I'll do the twelve all day. So. That's another thing um, I've, I've, I've changed about my process. Um, I'm just much more focused on clean balance sheets. And if there's not, I've always been focused on clean balance sheets, but like if there's not a clean balance sheet, similar to the wider range of outcomes on the business, it's a wider range of outcomes on the equity of the business because it's le- it might be more leverage. I should be looking for a three bagger, right? Over three years, not a double over three years. So, um, uh, you know, I just think there's lots of small improvements I've made over time. I think there's probably more improvements to make over time and you know, hopefully I can keep making them. Absolutely. So another topic I wanted to talk with you about today, and this is something I've been, I was thinking about, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot since I would, I would say 2020 when we were, we did a bit more ESG panels and, you know, talking about impact investing and, you know, how that kind of has tried to kind of seep into the investment investing communities and, and it has. I'm not I don't want to say that it tried it, it failed. It definitely has. You know, but you know, I think about this a lot also when I when I'm interviewing various companies, because we we cover everything here at Planet Microcap from you know mining to whatever. Um so I, I think it's a bigger conversation around, you know, this ESG with impact. And it's really comes down in my head to this idea of investing morally. And I'm curious for, from your perspective, how do you, how do you think about that in terms of where, where do morals come in when you start yeah. thinking about like, all right, man, this is a clear home run right here, but they're in an industry maybe that I just, I'm not a big fan of or a consumer in or something. Yeah. Like that. I mean, look, ESG and in particular, ENS, so environmental social governance, um, is becoming more front and center and it's going to have an impact on valuations more and more companies. So you have to pay attention to it if you want to be a good investor over time because ETFs are moving that way. 
mutual funds are moving that way. Long only funds, they're focusing on it more and more. Um, sadly, it's more on the E and the S and, uh, and a lot less on the G is kind of, you know, my impression of it. And I think E and S are really important. Environmental and social are really important. Governance should also be really important, but it seems like, you know, that's kind of taken the backseat, um, you know, in terms of there's still a lot of sleepy boards with not a lot of skin in the game, not aligned with shareholders who make decisions that might not be in the best interest of shareholders either because they lack sophistication or they just don't care. Um, and so that's, that's a bummer. I think, you know, for that part of my process, it's on me to find boards and management teams that care about shareholders and to act in the best interest of shareholders in terms of environmental and social and ethics and all that stuff. I think if you want to invest in businesses, uh, like you, you could invest in trading sardines, right? You could, you could be trying to buy 50 cent dollars and hope that eventually they'll trade for a dollar. And if that's what you're doing, if you're, if you're, if you're investing in a trading sardine or a quick catalyst driven business, that's, you know, stock that's just going to re-rate for some reason, there's forced selling or there's a spinoff or, you know, there's an event, then you probably don't need to care about it as much because there's an event. It's not really, it's just a trade for you. It's not an investment. But if you are going to make an investment in a business, meaning I'm owning this business for three years, five years, 10 years, hopefully for a very long period of time, I think it's very important that the E and the S are, you know, right. Because if they're not, it's destabilizing to a business long-term. Because if you're not treating, you know, the E and the S with the respect they deserve, the government and your employees and your customers will eventually revolt and force that upon you. If you're destroying the environment for too long and you get too big and successful, I guarantee you the government is coming after you. If you're treating your employees like crap or your customers like crap, your employees will eventually quit. They'll unionize. Your customers will eventually find a competitor and they'll move their business over. Um, right. Your shareholders, could choose to leave as well. So like, or, or banks could stop lending you money. So I think like if you, if you if you disregard environmental, moral, social issues, you are risking your business long-term. And so it's not even that like, it's a good thing to do. It's a smart thing to do for your shareholders, for your pocketbook, because I think having a stable long-term business is the most, is one of the most important things. If you, if, if the stock market closed tomorrow and you had to own your portfolio forever, you would definitely not want a business that's taking advantage aggressively out of its customers, of its suppliers. And so, uh, you know, from an ethical standpoint, I, I typically think like, is everyone winning in these transactions or is someone getting abused? And, you know, if everyone's winning, um, you know, customers, suppliers, um, then I think, including the environment, by the way, right? Because if, if you're destroying the environment, not everyone's winning because society is losing, Right. And same with, uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of my view. I think you want stable businesses and, uh, and that means having responsible ENS and, and G hopefully, but you know, people focus on that less. So let me ask you this, like, let's, let's talk about maybe the perfect scenario of, let's say we're talking about a company that ES and G, all three, let's say they're top notch above 90th percentile amongst their peers. You know, they're knocking it out of the park. They're not low environmental impact really quality uh, in terms of um, social, whatever that can mean, right? Um, let's say their governance is top-notch. You know, they have an active board, quality board. They're all personally invested, that kind of thing. But it's still a company that, you know, you then have to then question of like, all right, 
this happens to be in a sector or they're in a space that I just, I'm not quite sure about, you know, how, how do you think about that? Even though it might be a home run. We're talking call gun stocks. Yeah. The up. whole, yeah. The whole bit. Yeah. I mean, call is, you know, I mean, not coal. Coal. That's, that's, I mean, that, that's yeah, clearly saying. an environmental yeah. <laughs> disaster. Fine. Don't but like, let's say, let's say guns, let's say, let's say strip clubs, let's say that yeah. a little bit. You know? And by the way, this is no judgment. If you are invested in those, like by all means, you know, yeah. I, it's just something that I've been thinking about quite a bit. Yeah. And like, and I know you've looked at a couple of those too. Yeah. I mean, guns, uh, customers obviously love them. Suppliers, um, no problem. Employees, no problem. Shareholders, no problem. Society, question mark, right? We live in a society where, you know, probably half, of society thinks there's no, no issue with gun ownership. And the other half thinks there's an issue with gun ownership. And I think like, if it's just an open-ended question of gun ownership or not, it's probably 50, 50, but if it's a question of responsible gun ownership, it's probably like 80% of the country wants responsible gun ownership. And then the question is, what does that mean? How responsible is responsible? And I I can assure you that at some point, in one year, three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, the government will put their hand into this issue and come to a conclusion on your behalf. And so I think, um, you know, that warrants a lower valuation. You have to get your cash out more quickly to, to get paid for that uncertainty. And I have no, I'm not going to make a, a statement on, you know, what I think about gun ownership, but um, as an investor into that stock, I just think you need to take into account that, there's an external force that might get applied to your business. Same with healthcare, by the way, drug companies, right? That aggressively price for the drugs. Um, you know, if you're an investor in that company, I've heard these pitches where it's like they have all this pricing power because if people don't take that med, they're going to die and they have to take that med. But like, if you're thinking about that purely from like an economical, like near term, like they have pricing power, they have customers that can't go anywhere, they have patents. That sounds amazing, but if you think about it from like a long-term perspective, that sounds potentially destabilizing. Um, as far as RCI, you know, I think I personally think everyone's winning. You know, like the only employees are happy; no one's forcing them to work there. Um, customers are happy; no one's forcing them to go there. Uh, shareholders are happy; no one's forcing them to own the stock. Now, there might be people out there who think those customers. And employees are amoral and they should be stopped because what they're doing is amoral, even though I don't have to go there and I don't, I, I just don't want anyone else to be able to go there. And yeah, if a big enough portion of society thought that you would have to start. And if this company got big enough, you would have to start thinking about that. I think we're very far away from, you know, that them being big enough and in the headlines enough and a big enough part of society um, thinking about that. Um, and by the way, these things are regulated on a, on a local level and they happen to be in states that are very friendly, you know, towards that type of business environment, Texas and Florida specifically. And so like, I think it's a calculated, a calculated decision you make on every investment. If you don't have a moral issue with it yourself and you don't think there's going to be a destabilizing force, then I, I think it's fair game. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that, that's why I'm happy I brought this up with you because I feel like whenever we talk, we both kind of see that there is both sides to this argument, but it's been coming up a lot recently in some of the companies that I've 
um, invited to come on our due, due diligence series that I've been wanting to learn a little bit more about their businesses and whatnot, where, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm not going to interject my own personal opinion on any of any of these areas, but the part that has been starting, I've been thinking about a bit more is the equivalency of, you know, the clear cut, like strip clubs, guns, you know, these like particularly hot topic, amoral issues yeah. uh, versus what some of these other industries and how they've affected shareholder base. I mean, anybody who's yeah. invested in crypto, cannabis, biotech, pre-commercialization. I mean, they've gotten just as a taken of the cleaners as if maybe you would pour timing on some of these other in these other sectors or, you know, had you invest in these other sectors, not in, if you're taking your, your morality out of it, you know, you might actually done well as an investor versus, you know, putting your money in some of these other things. Yeah, look, investing is, it's not just about winning for me, it's about having fun along the way. And so it, it's, an, it's, an, it's, it's, it's kind of an art, you know, people who've done it for a long time, well beyond when they're very wealthy, which like, I don't care how much money you gave me tomorrow, I would still want to have a Hall of Fame track record for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And so like, if you want to do something for a long time, and it's your art, it's not just your job, you want to have fun along the way. And that means doing something you feel pumped about. So like, yeah, if you find an investment that you think you can make a lot of money on that you that might be a moral in your eyes, like the, the world's not starved for interesting and good investment opportunities. You know, I, I come, I, I come across thousands and thousands of thousands of companies that I could research and do work on and spend my time on. So like, I don't know. I mean, you can kind of self-select what works for you as an investor also. Um, you know, uh, if someone else wants to invest in something that I don't like the concept, let them do it. I don't have, you know, I, I don't have a particular, but I think they should take into account that if just because they have no problem with it doesn't mean society, they should have a, they should have a view, they should have a view on what they think and what society thinks and what the likelihood is that society then imposes its will on that business, you know, regardless of what they think, because that's how the world works. We live, you know, we live in a democracy and the government can interject and say they don't like what you're doing. And obviously you need the will of the people and not just the politicians, but it's definitely a possibility. And so if that becomes a real risk uh, on a probability weighted basis, you should be getting your cash out more quickly and getting compensated extra for taking that risk. That's, that's kind of my view. I mean, I, I think you should, you should probably should just not given there's so many good investment opportunities. If you just spend time looking for them, I don't know why you would spend your time looking at things that you have a problem with that specific business. Yeah. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more with that. Like at yeah. the end of the day, like if you're, if you're questioning your own morality, when you're looking at what seems to be a layup, you know, there's another it takes the fun out of the game. Yeah, there's, there's like, and now you're going to be staying up at night. It, like that, that should now factor into your criteria at some point. Be like, all right, well, I'm not a gun guy. So even if this is a layup, like I should maybe, may, there's another bus or not a canvas or whatever it is, you know, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So listen, let, let's close this out because I mean, it's, it's such an interesting time because there's like so many things to talk about and yet not that much at this, you know? Um, I I find myself, you know, even as a podcaster here and thinking of different topics to to cover, like uh, there's some interesting things, but you may think something's interesting, but it's not even catching, you know? So, I I mean, 
what what's to, for you what what's been the most interesting thing that you've seen thus far in 2023 that you think might have some legs for the rest of the year that other folks might uh might gain some more popularity yeah i don't know that's a good question i mean clearly it's there's you know some flashes of early 2021 meme craze um you know that kind of retail back in full force buying zero data expiry calls and um you know buying meme stocks there's there's definitely some flashes of that which is not what you would want to see you know driving the market higher um and then you also have bears who just continue to pound the table and 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 sh- shift the narrative on like what's going to take stocks lower i'm kind of a keep it simple you know find interesting opportunities kind of guy and i think there's lots of interesting opportunities out there that do not involve memes and do, do not involve businesses that are overvalued and highly exposed to a shallow recession um and so that's what i'm spending my time doing i'm optimistic that you know that's going to be rewarded in 2023 24 25 um i think you know nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems i i, I forget who said the quote but like it's very it's very true and like you the world is not a static place it's a dynamic place and humans react to information and so like right when rates are zero and everyone's like inflation's going to get really bad no one gets it and then inflation starts to get bad people increase rates the fed increases rates bondholders demand higher compensation for bonds credit spreads blow out and that has an impact on the real world so like i just think anyone who wants to say we're going to the moon or we're going to zero like it's just rare that the world operates like that you know you've had financial crises where it seemed like every bank was going to go under unless the government stepped in you've had the covid where it seemed like every human on earth might die unless we found a vaccine or if the virus wasn't as bad as we fear thankfully that's that happened it, you know we found a vaccine and the virus wasn't as bad as we fear but so you have these exist- existential moments um that obviously are very very risky of what could happen to risk assets and to society as a whole if they play out but in general like an average recession is not something to be that afraid of as an investor if you are thoughtful you pick good businesses strong balance sheets predictable business models they can play offense in periods of economic uncertainty and market volatility they can make accretive acquisitions they can go after market share uh, while their competitors are you know retreating um and uh they can create a lot of value long term so i just I think fixed income is definitely more interesting now than it's been in a really long time. Like, hey, you could make 5% in government bonds. You know, one-year government bonds. That sounds if you don't know what else to do with your cash, that sounds like a pretty sweet option. But I think there are things out there in equity land priced to deliver much higher returns that have more inflation protection if inflation does continue to be at high levels. Um and that's what I'm spending my time looking for. So there we go. I think that's a great place to end it. Your own. Where can everybody go and find more information? Follow you on social media. One main capital is my Twitter handle, and then that will direct you to uh, my website or my email address. And I'm pretty responsive, so please get in touch there. And your own, real quick, are you a shareholder in RCI? You mentioned that earlier. Yes, that's good. Your own, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe, and I'll uh, catch you catch you around here soon.
Thanks, man. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.